Uh, good morning. Hey, if you're new, we just want you to connect with us. So there's a connect card on your seat or next to you. And so if you're hanging out or, uh, you know, you finally decided to come to church because your family member who you're staying with on Thanksgiving was bothering you so much, listen, we're so glad uh, that you're here. I hope you at least give us the next 30 minutes to see what God might have to say to you. But we would love to help you in your spiritual life and in your journey in life, wherever you may be. So if you say, I don't, even, I don't call myself a Christian. As a matter of fact, I hate church. I'm just here for my mom. Or, you know, if you're here and you're like, listen, I love, I love what God's doing. Either way, we want to help you wherever you're at with whatever is going on in your life. So please fill out the Connect card. We'd love to connect with you. Pass it off in the lobby, and we will get with you. I also want to say thank you for the, everybody who picked up our list for delivering food to uh, families in need over Thanksgiving. You guys took care of all the needs that were there, and so I just want to say thank you for being the kind of church that jumps on those opportunities uh, to bless people around us. Hope you enjoyed your Thanksgiving. I spent our Thanksgiving uh, almost killing all my children on a four-wheeler, so it was a lot of fun. Uh, we went up to Pennsylvania, and we got a little crazy. Things you can't do in D.C., okay, uh, uh, with, with, with the space. And so we enjoyed it. Everyone's alive, and uh, we're back and ready, ready for action this morning. So we're going to finish our series in Haggai about priorities. So go ahead and open your Bible to Haggai chapter 2. All right. And we're going to finish the, the, the word of God in Haggai this morning. Uh, before we read into it, I just want to give you a reminder of a few things. Uh, first, today's message is called From Now On, and it's about the rest of your life. You say, I wonder what the rest of my life will be like, or you feel afraid about what the rest of your life will be like, or you feel hopeful about what the rest of your life will be like, or uncertain. I want to do two things today. I hope to challenge and encourage you. Uh, today is about your decision to prioritize God, to take this whole series in Haggai, which is really about prioritizing God, and to apply it into your life, and from now on to live with those new priorities. For some of you, that may mean putting your faith in Christ for the very first time, which I will invite you to today. Some of you, it may just be an encouragement this morning that even in the midst of your uncertainty and suffering... God has promised in Christ blessings over your life. Hey, blessings, you know, over your life. God wanted to emphatically say, yes, God has promised blessings in Christ over your life, even in the form of suffering. The beauty of the Christian life is that suffering doesn't take away, but enhances the blessing of God. So even as I look into my future, Certainly, there will be suffering and there will be good things. There will be hills, there will be valleys, there will be exciting times, mountaintops. There will be all these things. I want to encourage you and challenge you this morning. So from now on. Now, remember the context, just to give you a reminder. I know you guys all had Thanksgiving break. We prayed and heard from Taylor last week, which was awesome. So I want to bring you back into the world of the text this morning. So remember the people of God had gotten kicked out of the land, and then God, 70 years later, brings them back into their land. Here in Jerusalem, they're rebuilding their lives, about 520 B.C., something like that. They're rebuilding their lives. They're rebuilding their city. They forget, or not forget, they really just neglect to build God's temple, which is really in that day a neglect of their relationship with God altogether. And the, their life wasn't working. Their crops weren't growing. Their clothes weren't keeping them warm, all these different things. And Haggai comes in to say the reason why your life is not working is because you have bad priorities. When we neglect God, we neglect ourselves is what we learned. And say, so Haggai comes in and he preaches. And he says, you need to change. You need to prioritize God. Otherwise, your work will continue to be futile in the land. <clears throat> 
They respond and say, yes, okay? So now they decide to be obedient. The Spirit of God stirs them up. They repent, and they decide to move forward. After the obedience we saw a few weeks ago, that they were a month in, and they got tired, and they didn't want to do it anymore, and they were discouraged. The beautiful temple actually looked like a little shed in your backyard, and what their work, it felt futile, you know? So they're discouraged. So Haggai comes in again, and he preaches, and he says, be encouraged. God is at work in your midst. Remember what we talked about. If he didn't save you, to fail you now. God is actively at work in you. God has made a covenant with you as his people, which applies to all of you today in Christ. So keep at it and keep going. That's what we heard last. And now, the final part of this text is two months after that. So now we're three months from the beginning of the first sermon. And we're two months after the last time we saw them. Uh, and now, once again, they are discouraged. What do you know? They get encouraged. Hey! And then, two months later, they look at each other and they say, we don't want to do this no more. Again! You know, like, this is not worth it. So... They're discouraged about their future. It's kind of like, what's the point? You ever thought about that, about even following God? You know, you're like, this is not working how I thought it would. And you think, what's the point, you know? Uh, or about your decisions in life. You feel uncertain about your future. This is what, this is the question they have. How is this all going to turn out? You know, is this worth my continual effort? Doesn't look good right now. So they're discouraged again. And Haggai's going to come in one more time, give them a final word of both challenge and encouragement about what the rest of their life will and can look like if they choose to continue to do what God has asked them to do. So that's exactly what God is going to do with you this morning, both a challenge and an encouragement about the rest of your life. So this is a fairly long text, so I'm going to break it off into a few sections. We're going to read the first four verses here. So verse 10 of chapter 2 says, On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priest about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil of any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with the dead body touches any of these things, does it become unclean? And the priest answered in the affirmative, it does become unclean. So Haggai's roped him in now, and now he's going to shoot it right at their heart. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands, what they offer there is unclean. So we're going to stop there for a second, we're going to deal with what's going on here, and this is going to be the initial challenge from God and rebuke, which he's going to also apply to our lives before the encouragement. So here's how the passage has worked. Remember, the first problem was priorities. They got their priorities wrong. Well, then the second problem was perspective. As soon as you get your priorities right, the devil comes in and tries to mess with your perspective. So they get some perspective, and now they run into a new problem called purity of heart. So they had priorities wrong, got the priorities right. Perspective wrong, got some new perspective. And now they have a purity of heart problem. This is how it works and how the attack continues in your life. If God, if the, if, if God gets your priorities right, you come in and you say, I'm going to live according to God's priorities. And then you get discouraged, but your perspective gets right to say, well, heaven's very long and life is very short. I can handle the trouble, whatever it might be. God has made promises to me. He didn't save me to fail me now. Then the third attack will be to get you to do everything that you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it, but not have your heart in it. That's what comes next. 
I got my priorities in order. I'm actually going to, you know, care for my family. I'm going to work like I'm supposed to. I'm going to come and participate in church. I'm going to participate in a group. I'm going to grow. I'm going to do the things. I'm going to serve. I'm going to give. I'm going to do the things I am supposed to do, and I'm going to maintain the perspective that it's all worth it. But then the third and final attack comes on you to say, well, you can do all of those things, and you can look great on the outside, but if you don't do them with purity of heart, they are meaningless. So maybe you got your priorities in order, and maybe now your perspective is back in check. But what about the purity of your heart? Is it possible that you are doing all the things you are supposed to do on the outside while neglecting the reality of your heart on the inside? This is the problem that the people had that we experience as well. And here's what I, what I want to explain and hopefully get to you about. So I have, I have really good news about the rest of your life, okay? So I need you to hold on with me till the end. I promise you will be encouraged, okay? You will be encouraged. I have, I have really good news about the rest of your life. But first, you have to deal with the current status of your life. Okay, before I give you the good news about the rest of your life, you have to deal with the bad news about the current status of your life. And you can't get to the good news about your future until you deal with the bad news about your current reality. You have, this is the process that it requires. It's like someone promising to pay your bills, but you have to look at them first. You say, well, my solution to my debt is I just don't look at the bills that come in my mailbox, you know. Let's say, I've heard people do that. It doesn't quite work, okay? Just because you don't look at it doesn't mean it goes away. You say, just because you don't deal with your feelings doesn't mean they don't exist. Just because you don't deal with your problems doesn't mean they all of a sudden go away. So someone has promised to pay your bills, but you got to look at them first, and you have to run into how much debt you have accrued, and you have to deal with the reality in front of you. That's what's happening here. It's like the check engine light has come on, and ignoring the check engine light doesn't mean your car is okay. There's a light that says your car is not okay. And if you pretend your car is okay, that doesn't mean your car is okay. All right? This is a word to some of y'all, okay? You walked out, your car currently needs some work. And maybe God's trying to save your life, okay? Ain't nobody too busy. Go get your car checked, all right? This is a word to me as well, okay? I'm the least person. I'm, my, my tags are always expired. My check engine light's always on. My car's a mess, all right? So I'm, I'm preaching to myself, all right? <clears throat> now, but we all know this reality in life, okay? Uh, ignoring the problem doesn't make it go away. Now, God has promised to help you navigate and deal with the realities of your life, but the first thing you have to do is accept the reality of your life, even the bad things about your life and the bad things about you. So, and this is difficult for us. Why? Well, in light of all the positive self-talk of our culture, you live in an environment that breeds the idea consistently in your life that if you just be who you are and express yourself, then that will have positive outcomes. So there's this kind of cultural water we're all swimming in that to think badly of yourself in any way is a bad thing. And everything about you is good. And positive and should be fully expressed you know this is how the culture teaches you this is how we naturally think so then to come into a situation where we have to accept and deal with the things that are not only are wrong around us but are wrong inside of us it gets pretty difficult because we're not trained to do this in the world this is why we need the Bible and discipleship so the rest to think the way that God thinks to neglect to accept the things that are wrong within us is to also neglect the solution for us. 
Okay? To pretend like nothing is wrong is to neglect the actual solution. It's to not receive the hope that you want. So we're going to get to the good news, I promise you, but you've got to ride on the path of the bad news with me first. So I have three ways we're going to do this in order, all right? So the first thing that he does here is he tells him this. You need to, this is the first point for us is to check your heart, all right? This is what he says. You need to check your heart. Your priorities are in order. Your perspective is in order, but now... You have a purity of heart problem. You know what happened was they began to rebuild the temple, but they didn't reform their lives. They served, but they didn't love the Savior. They went to church, but they never went to Christ. They externally looked good, but inside they were an absolute mess. Could this possibly be true of your current life? It is possible to come to church every week but never come to Christ. It is possible to even help people build God's kingdom, God's temple, so to speak, but to neglect God himself. This is very important because going to church doesn't save your soul, neither does serving the poor or raising your hands in worship. Going to group during the week, lighthouse during the week. None of those things save your soul. Giving all your money away doesn't save your soul. Therefore, this is of a huge importance for us to understand the reality of our hearts. The command for them was not just to build the temple, but to do it with pure motives. It wasn't enough just to do it. And this is the reality that we get confronted with. That we need to understand. God is not concerned, write this down, with external experiences, appearances, but internal affections. What is God concerned with about your life? And it is not external appearances, how you look on the outside, but internal affections. What are the motivations of your heart? And this is what God sees. He is not, listen to me, he's not pacified or he is not at peace or pleased with ceremonies, rituals, and routines, but only by a heart truly alive to him. The only thing God accepts is a heart truly alive to him. He does not accept routines, rituals, ceremonies, or any external practices as sufficient for him to receive you. The only thing that God accepts is a heart fully alive to him. Something that we'll see here is that half-hearted obedience is not obedience at all. And some of you have pacified your conscience because you're doing on the outside what you're supposed to do while the inside of you could care less about the glory of God in it. The inside of you could care less about loving God. The inside of you could care less about your neighbor. You could care less about that. Externally, you're doing what you're supposed to do. And your conscience for a minute has been appeased by that so that you don't feel guilty every day. But I'm here to wake you up, hopefully this morning, to the reality that that hasn't fooled God. God cares about what's going on in your heart. This is the challenge that God brings to you this morning, and you are Instagramming and TikToking and Netflixing your soul to death and not dealing with what your heart is really like. You gotta wake up to that. You can't pretend. You can't pretend all the way to the judgment seat of Christ. You can't do that. I wanna wake you up this morning because you'll be too late. It'll be too late if you deal with your heart too late. And you'll say, I went to church and I served the poor and I did everything I was supposed to do. And God will say, your heart never loved me. And then it'll be too late. 
because you were too busy decompressing all day and you never ever dealt with your heart. And you avoided the bad things about yourself that you know are there. You avoided the numbness in your heart that you know is there. You avoided the feelings that you have that you know are there that aren't good. You avoided those things as opposed to doing with them. Your, your conscience was pacified by the fact that you look good on the outside while all the while the inside of you was totally falling apart. Here's a question for those of you, especially those of you who serve and are consistent and on the outside look as good as anything else. Am I busy doing God's work but neglecting my heart? you got to ask yourself this question, especially those of you who are the most involved. Am I busy doing God's work but neglecting my heart? The only thing that God accepts is a heart fully alive to him. Now you say, and you should say, this seems like a lot. As you and I both know, my motives are always mixed. How in the world could I ever give God a pure heart? This seems unfair. How am I supposed to actually manage and do this? I can't change my feelings. How am I supposed to give God something I can't create? I can serve, I can give, I can show up, but I can't change my heart. And this is the predicament the entire human race is in. This is why this is very important how the Lord works. And this is also why you'll notice in the passage, Haggai doesn't ask the priests what they think. He asks them what the law says. He doesn't say, hey, priests, what do you think? He says, hey, priests, what does the word of God say? What does that mean for us? It means this, acceptable worship is not according to our thoughts, but God's thoughts. The question is not whether it looks good in our eyes, but God's eyes. And too many of us have received approval from men while there was disapproval from God. And we received approval from men and thought we were just fine. All the while, it never looked good to God. Acceptable worship is not according to your thoughts or what seems fair to you or what seems appropriate to you or what you can manufacture and give. Acceptable worship has nothing to do with your standards in life or the things you wish were true. Acceptable worship is what does God think and what does God require? That's the only question. And that's where this gets really hard for us, and it should. The very beginning of the Bible starts out with an unacceptable sacrifice, right? You have Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter 4, right away. And Cain brings an unacceptable sacrifice to God. And Abel, his brother, brings an acceptable sacrifice. What's the difference? It's the motive of their heart. And what happens to Cain? He gets mad, and he gets jealous, and he can't believe that God wouldn't accept what he brought him because he brought God something. He didn't bring him nothing. He brought God something, and God says, no, that's not it for me. You didn't bring me your best, and you didn't bring me your heart. And then he gets mad because when Abel brings God his best, and Abel brings God his heart, God accepts Abel's sacrifice. The very first, one of the very first sins after Adam and Eve is an unacceptable act of worship. Worship. An unacceptable act of worship. 
It is possible to give God an unacceptable act of worship. It is possible to give God an unacceptable sacrifice. And Cain's heart isn't in it, and he doesn't give God his best. And he gets mad, and jealousy leads him to kill his brother Abel. Abel's sacrifice was acceptable to God because it was what God had asked for. The only acceptable sacrifice is what God has asked for. Look at this now in the New Testament. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge is love. Love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Look at this. What's the aim of all this? It's love. Not just acts of love, but acts of love that come from what? A pure heart. Acts of love that come from a genuine love for God. Acts of love that come from a genuine love for neighbor. And look at this, a good conscience, not a guilty conscience, not a troubled conscience, not an unclean conscience, a good conscience. And what else? A sincere faith. All of these things are things you can't see. The measurement of your life is about things you can't see. You know how scary that is to say, God measures me by that which I can't see. This should, in one sense, terrify you. Look at this, Romans 14, 23. Whatever does not proceed from faith is what? Sin. I don't care if it was nice, and I don't care if it helped the world. If it didn't come from a place of faith, what does God call it? It's not what you call it. It's not what the Red Cross calls it. It's not what I call it. What does God call it? Sin. What does sin do? Romans 6, sin separates me from God. This is so serious. God measures you on that which you cannot see, and he requires from you that which you cannot manufacture. You've got to see this. You cannot produce on your own what God is asking from you. You cannot. You can go to church on your own. You can serve on your own. You can give on your own. You can show up on your own. You can stay faithful to your spouse on your own. You can be nice on your own. You can do a lot of those things. But what you can't do is give God a pure heart from a place of faith on your own. What God requires from you, you do not have the capacity to give him. This is the real predicament of the human race. It is impossible to please God. That's the point. On your own. It's impossible. Impossible. This is the situation that you're in. And some of you in this room or watching online have been deceived by your external obedience. And God this morning is awaking you to the reality of the internal heart. That God does not accept the way you are living your life. And currently right now because of sin, you are separated from God even though you think you're not. And if you Netflix and TikTok and Instagram your soul all the way to hell, you will regret not evaluating the purity of your heart. This is so serious, guys. So serious. I promise the good news is coming. And the good news is here as well, okay? So this seems impossible, right? And that should weigh on you. We don't need a better heart, and we don't need to try harder. We need a new heart. That's the thing. I don't need a better heart, a better routine, a better sacrifice, a better, I need a new 
heart. And this is the promise of the scriptures. This is what God promises to give us when we recognize that my bills are too high for me to pay and my car is too messed up for me to fix. And when I stop denying the reality of my life, but I accept it for what it is, then God comes in and says what's impossible for man is possible with God. Don't take my word for it, Ezekiel 36. God promises this in the Old Testament. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from your idols, and I will cleanse you. Look at all these I wills. You should never base your spiritual condition on what you will, but what God will. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. He doesn't ask them to do these things. He knows they cannot. He's making them a promise, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 18 in the New Testament after Christ has died and risen again for us says this, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. If anyone, y'all better get ready to shout if you understand what God's doing here, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. This is the promise of the scriptures. He says, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Listen to me. You do not need lower standards for your life to be acceptable. You need a better savior. You don't need lower standards. You don't need to set the bar lower so you can jump over it. You need a better savior. You are not a good enough savior, and the world is not a good enough savior, and all your efforts to be a good person are not a good enough savior. You need Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection as the perfect acceptable sacrifice for your sin. What you cannot do for yourself God still requires from you, but God also gives to you if you'll ask him for it. And the plea for some of you is to ask him for that this morning. To ask him for that this morning is say, God, I need a new heart. I need a new heart, and I put my faith and trust in you through Christ. Would you give me a new heart? And for so many of you, it's to stop relying on yourself to do what God requires and to start depending on God so that he can make you and cause you, as it says in the scriptures, do what he requires. You're trying to live your Christian life on your own strength, and of course that is frustrating because it's unsuccessful. You will never grow that way. So, we all need to check our heart. If we get our priorities in order and we get a renewed perspective, the next attack is on the purity of your heart. Are you busy doing God's work while neglecting the reality of your heart? For some of you, the only decision today is to recognize your sin has separated you from God, to not accept your own approval of yourself or the world's approval of you, but to seek and to find God's approval of you by putting your faith in Christ and his death for you, his life lived for you, 
in his resurrection for you what you cannot do for yourself. God did for you. You simply need to say thank you and put your trust in him this morning. And I plead that you will do that. Check your heart. So the next thing is this. Carefully consider your ways. So check your heart, and now we need to carefully consider your ways. Look at verse 15. Now then, consider from this day onward. That's the idea from the sermon now is from now on. From this day onward. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, but there were 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, but there were 20. Remember, the, the analogy to that for our lives is what, what we look from the world, the world cannot give us. You know? You went looking for a full measure of joy by pursuing pleasures in the world, and you came out half empty. That's what he said. You know the feeling. You know every one of us knows this. He says, now, because of that, I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and mildew and hell. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since that day the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid bare. Consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. So that's a bunch of failure, but look at this. But from this day on, I will bless you. He says, consider, consider your ways. What does he mean? Take notice, pay attention, give careful thought to. I mean, the first question is so, such a true question for our life. He's like, how did you fare? How did that way of life work out for you when you were neglecting God and choosing your own way? How did that go for you? Did you get everything that you were looking for? Are you fully satisfied and happy and filled with purpose? Is your conscience clear? Do you have a pure heart? And the answer to all of that for us is obviously no. It doesn't work. It might feel like it works for a few minutes, but over time we all come up empty. When we neglect God, we neglect ourselves. We need to give careful thought to our ways and careful thought to the outcomes of our life. The problem with this group of people is they were supposed to discern the lack of fruitfulness in the land with the lack of love for God in their hearts. God had cursed them because of their bad priorities according to the curses and blessings promised to Moses in Deuteronomy 28. When he told Moses to tell the people, if you follow me, it'll go like this. And if you don't follow me, it'll go like this. God had made these promises many, many years before, and now they were neglecting God's word that led them to fall into hard times. The reality here is that God struck down intentionally, actively, their works. He used here supernatural realities. He used natural causes to deal with a supernatural spiritual problem. What I need you to consider, and I certainly have no idea exactly, particularly how God is working things out in your life, but I do know this, that God used natural circumstances to reveal the spiritual reality of their heart. And maybe, just maybe, God is striking down your works to get your attention. And the question now is, will you turn to him? He says, I struck you down. Do you have a category for that in your mind with God? Or is it just God's a big teddy bear you give a big hug to all the time? Because that's misinformed. God certainly loves you, but God is also holy. He will not put up with this hypocrisy. And he says, I myself struck down your works. I brought about natural problems to reveal a supernatural issue in your heart. God certainly does that today. 
He certainly does that today. He did it then, he does it today. Maybe, just maybe, God is revealing and causing natural problems in your life to reveal a supernatural issue with your heart beneath the surface. I certainly cannot guarantee and promise that's exactly what God is doing in your particular circumstance now, but it's certainly how he works, and it is something you should consider. Is God trying to get your attention, and will you listen to what he has to say? We have to remember in the context of the story that God striking down their works was an act of love to keep them from continuing on a destructive path. The problems God brought about in their life were the catalyst for the solution. And maybe this ought to be true for you. And it's certainly true in our, the reality that God is sovereign over all things, that God is actively using things in your life to lead you to the solution. The question is, will you listen and obey? But he says, I did all this, yet you did not turn to me. Here's, here's how this works out. The resolution to our issues with God is repentance. He says, this is the resolution. It's very simple. How do you resolve the gap between you and God? How do you resolve the problem the people were having with God? It's repentance. He says, yet you did not turn to me. That's the problem. If they would have turned to him in repentance, that would have resolved the situation. The, situ- the, the, the resolution maybe for, I mean, for all of us with so many things, but this might be huge for you right now to say the resolution for your life is repentance, but you're too busy being defensive to be repentant. You're too busy in your self-righteousness to be repentant for your sin. You're too busy defending yourself and your cause and your rights than to sit with the reality of your life and repent for the wickedness of your soul. I throw myself in that too. We're all included in that. To say, are you too busy being defensive to be repentant? God is saying, I was getting your attention and I brought all these things about, but still you didn't turn to me. Is he saying that to you this morning? I have been, hey, wake up, wake up, wake up, turn, turn, turn. He's looking at you saying, still, 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 your life is a mess. Everything's falling apart. You're not getting what you hoped for out of the things that you put your investment in. Your life is not working and things are going wrong, but still you won't turn to me. And God is pleading with you saying, I am the solution. But the resolution is repentance. You have to deal with the bad news so that you can receive the good news. Because God is still making an offer, yet you did not turn to me. will turn into an invitation, but you can turn to me now. When God says you did not turn to me, he is opening the door because he's going to continue speaking to them to say, but you can turn to me now. And that's true for all of us. What is it in your life? that you need to turn away from so that you can turn to God and put him as the priority. I want you to notice this sentence too in verse 19. He says, okay, now it's it's good news all the way out, all right? You guys ready? You guys ready for that? Verse 19. He says, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. Pause. Is the seed still in the barn? This is what, this is, this is so, so interesting. The idea here is that the crops they had already planted, the seed, the seed was already in the ground. It wasn't in the barn. 
it wasn't producing the things they needed for life. The things that he is mentioning here are basically the essential ingredients of life in this time. They needed these things for the basic elements of life. The oil, the olive tree, the pomegranate, the fig tree, the vine, these were essentials for life. So basically to not have these things is to have a completely desolate life is the point. And he's saying the seed isn't in the barn. You did the work and you put the seed in the land, but it is still not yielding to you the things you need for life. That's the situation they're in. You've planted the seed, but the crop is not growing. Your life is desolate. You do not have the essentials that you need. It has all yielded nothing. And maybe that's where some of you are this morning. Say, man, I put, this, I put the seed in the ground. I'm trying. I'm trying, but my life is yielding nothing. It seems like my attempts to get better are yielding nothing. And my situation in life is getting worse instead of better and I'm uncertain about my future and all the efforts that I do to change simply do not work. It has all yielded nothing. But here's the word that you need on your life yet. This is a great word. Yet. It hasn't yielded anything yet. Let me tell you something. The sentence doesn't stop there. This is the encouraging news. All your efforts and all your sin and all your trying and all your hypocrisy and all these things you have been doing, they haven't yielded any, they've yielded nothing. They haven't yielded anything yet because there's a promise attached to their problem. He says, but from this day on, I will bless All, listen to me, all of your problems in Christ have a yet attached to them. Even your sins and the things you have done to destroy your own life have a promise from God attached to them. It hasn't yielded anything yet. It doesn't look good now, but just wait. You say, I haven't seen that prayer answered yet. I haven't come out of this depression yet. I haven't found a solution for this problem yet. I don't know what's going to happen, but God is not finished with you yet. There's a a promise attached to your problem. Listen to me. It may be cold outside now. This was in the middle of December. The harvest was ready to come, but it hadn't come. It may be cold outside now, but you know what he's telling them? Spring is coming. It's cold right now, but spring is coming. It's the middle of December, but March is on the way. God's not finished with you yet. He's not finished with you Yet, it hasn't yielded anything. Yet, the prayer hasn't been answered. Yet, but God's not finished with you. Yet, all of your promises, all of your problems have a promise from God attached to them. This sentence doesn't end with it's over or I'm too done or this will never get better. No, 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 no. Every sentence in Christ Jesus ends with this. From now on, I will bless you. That's the future of those in Christ. From now on, I will bless you. 
what happened when Christ saved you. Listen to me, oh believer, be encouraged. When Christ saved you and he took away your sins, God declared over your life at that very moment, from now on, nothing but grace and mercy. From now on, goodness and love will follow you. From now on, I will never count your sins against you. From now on, I am for you, not against you. From now on, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. From now on, God said, in Christ, I will bless you. This is the promise from God. This is the good news. Come on, you got to attach the promise to your problem. It isn't over yet. Live with hope. This is what God has intended for you. They had messed their life up. It was their own fault. And God still said, I will bless you. You may come in here this morning and say, all of my problems are my own fault. It's not something somebody else did to me, but I have made a mess of my life, and it's my own fault. And Jesus looks at you and says, my blood is sufficient for your sins. If you will put your faith in me from now on, I will bless you. How significant is it what Christ has done for us? There is a promise attached to your problems. God's not finished with you yet. So, here's something you should write down. Is that you need to stop living your life in suspense. Unsure of what will be returned to you. And you need to start living it in confidence. Sure of God's promises to you. Stop living your life in suspense. Like I said, it was mid-December, technically, when this was happening. And they had to wait till springtime. They were in suspense. Would the choices they had made to turn to God actually prove to work out for them? Time will tell. They were in suspense. But God didn't want them to live in suspense based off the things they could see and being unsure of how things would work out. God wanted them to live in confidence based off what God can see, sure of God's promises to them. He said, I will bless you, and the crops will be returned to you come springtime. Don't live your life in suspense. Start living your life with confidence. This is the blessing of following Jesus. You ought to never live your life in the middle, in suspense, uncertain and unsure. The good news of the gospel gives you confidence. So finally, here's the last part. He says, so you need to carefully consider your ways. The third one here is confidently step forward into the rest of your life. So check your heart, step one. Carefully consider your ways, step two. Confidently step forward into the rest of your life, the from now on, step three. He says, the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. He said, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms and nations, overthrow chariots and riders, and the horses and their riders shall go down. Go down, every one of you, by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Here's how this whole thing ends, is on a promise which will be fulfilled eventually in Christ. The first half of his promise is immediate blessing. Your crops will come back right now in your lifetime. 
The second half of the promise is eternal hope. This is what God is promising. Eternal hope for you. Things were small, difficult, and progress was slow. But they needed the message of hope, that eventually God will restore all things. Here's a word I want you to consider this morning for you. He says, I will overthrow the throne of the kingdoms. I want you to understand what's going on here is the people are a very small nation with no power, surrounded by enemies and friends, and just surrounded by people of great power. They were insignificant and small, certainly could not determine their own future if someone else decided to come in and take them over. They were surrounded by kingdoms and chariots and horses and riders that they thought would determine the outcome of their future. But God looks at them and says, basically, though you are small, I am very great. Anything that gets in the way of my promises for you, I will overthrow. That's the promise. They have Harriet. They have horses. They have, I don't know what Harriet is, but something. It's a name. Is anybody in here named Harriet? Okay. <laughs> the Lord has a word for you this morning. They have chariots. They have horses. They have armies. They have people. They have resources. They have money. Jerusalem is small, insignificant. Their problems are great. How could they ever have a future being so small, surrounded by such great enemies? That's the question. How can I, oh little Jerusalem, have a future being so small and surrounded by such great enemies? That's the issue. And so it is, could be with your life. You say, how can I have a future being so small and feeling insignificant and surrounded by such great enemies and problems? And the Lord says to you what he said to them, whatever gets in the way of my promises to you, I will overthrow. Though your problems and enemies may be great, I am greater still. This is what he promises to them, and in Christ, this is what he promises to you, because Zerubbabel here is what they call a type. He's a type of Christ. The salvation, temporal, small, that they'll find in Zerubbabel is a sign of the ultimate salvation God's people will find in Christ, because only in Christ are all the enemies of God overthrown forever. And this is what God did when he brought Christ to the world, and this is what God wants to do in your life. Finally, he says here, I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Here's what I want you to understand about your life, is the guarantee is God's degree. You say, what's the guarantee of all this? Nate, sounds great, got hope, got a future. What's the guarantee? Well, certainly not my sermon and the thoughts I have for you, but the guarantee is God's decree. If God said it, it is done. That's it, and you need to base your life on that. The guarantee is God's decree, listen to me, not what you see. You are basing your future based off the things you can see, and you need to base your future off God's decree. The guarantee is God's decree, and if God said it, it is done. And he says here, all of this is why, for I have chosen you. Listen to me, oh believer, brother and sister in Jesus. If God is to choose you, then nothing can move you. You are secure for all of eternity. Because you're great? No. Because you're not a hypocrite? No. Because your heart's pure all the time? No. Because you go to church a lot? No. Because you serve the poor a lot? No. No, 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 no. Why? Because in Christ, God has been merciful to you, and he has chosen you. So don't live your life in suspense, but start living it in confidence. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your love for us, Lord. I pray that you would do both the things that need to happen, that you would convict us, that you would clarify for us the spiritual condition of our hearts, that you would lead us to the cross and the acceptable sacrifice of Jesus. I pray that nobody would leave this room without you. And I pray, Lord, for all of us that you would give us a great encouragement in Christ this morning about the rest of our life. Would you inspire us with hope? Would you fill us with great excitement and confidence, not because of the things we can see, but because of what you have said? And so, Lord, would you do everything that you can do with your word, bring about the conviction and encouragement that is needed now. We love you so much, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let's respond to the Lord.